with the first pick in the NFL draft. For the last time in the pre-draft process, welcome to the DraftCast 2021. As always, I am Mason LeBeau, here with my guy, Zach Pratt. Zach, I know you might not be, but for one last time, can I just get a I'm good? <laughs> you know, I, I'm feeling better than I was, uh, you know, half hour, hour, An hour ago, ago. <laughs> when we were recording the uh, the other podcasts, uh, the, the mock drafts. Uh, John Milikoff came out said that he's hearing that it's the, the 49ers are taking fields and that the 49ers just like to do things to mess with the media. Uh, Kyle Shanahan said he wants a quarterback that throws like Drew Brees and moves like Lamar Jackson. Obviously, it could all mean absolutely nothing. We have no clue who this quarterback is going to be, and I, I I'm better than I was. I, I can give you that much. Is, is that enough? Yeah, that, that's yeah, that's better. That's an upward progression. Okay. So he wants a quarterback that moves like Lamar Jackson and throws like Drew Brees, but he also likes to mess with the media. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe he wants a quarterback that moves like Drew Brees and throws like Lamar Jackson. Oh God, who would want that? <laughs> who would? Absolutely no one. Uh, um <laughs> sorry okay he's not good again um this is our final episode uh the draft is in three days from us of recording this by the time you hear this it might be tomorrow or tonight hopefully we can get it to you the day before but we put scott in a bind so i won't be surprised if it's the day of the draft uh scott does a great job for us so i want to start by thanking scott i did that at the beginning uh, or at the end of last episode but as always this is really a three-man effort between scott zach and i scott does all the producing it makes our lives so much easier where we can sit down record and focus on scouting and getting through these guys so we can give you each positional episode so we can give you all the fun episodes in between all of that takes a little bit a good time of planning so we can uh, be coherent for the episode. We do a lot of pre-episode uh, stuff. So, um, again, if you guys are listening to this one, if you listen to any episode before, I want to thank you. It's a lot of fun to do. I'm glad we could do this for year four. Year four is about to come to a wrap. I feel like we've gotten a lot better at this over the years. I hope you guys feel the same if you've listened to any previous year. If you're not, I'm glad you're here. And uh, really, there's th- this is it. We, got, we don't have a prerogative. We don't have much to say for this episode. It's just going to be our final thoughts. We're just going to kind of go off of each other. We're going to go through our quarterbacks one last time, just because that seems like the most important. We're going to go through any changes we might have made since we've gotten through the positional episodes, just because we started so long ago. Uh, more information comes out. We learn more things. We hear things about other players. We go back and watch them. And uh, we'll just kind of confirm where our biases still are, who we like, who we don't like. Uh, in whatever order we feel like going through, I got a couple I want to hit on, and then uh, if something comes up, you know, we'll we'll talk about it. But otherwise, uh, this is it. This is where all of our work has paid off to, and um, it will mean absolutely nothing in the end. But I had fun. So, uh, Zach, you have quite the quarterback takes. Actually, no, you don't. You actually have pretty standard ones. Um, 
I mean that in a good way. Uh, just go through your quarterbacks <laughs> again really quick. Yeah, so I think the only thing that is wildly different about my quarterback rankings than some of the others you might see out there is I've got uh, Zach Wilson at four. So Mac Jones at five, Zach Wilson at four for me, uh, Trey Lance at three, Justin Fields at two, and then Trevor Lawrence up there as the top guy. Uh, I don't think it's too crazy to have Lawrence and Fields as one and two, but uh, having Wilson that far down below Trey Lance, I think is a little bit different than most places uh, might have them. And then for me, I've changed a little bit since our quarterbacks, um, since our quarterback episode, since we started with it. So I still got Trevor Lawrence up at one. Previously, I had Trevor Lawrence with Zach Wilson comfortably behind him, but not significantly uh zach wilson behind him and then i had a gap and then i went with fields lance jones and i was still kind of trying to figure out how i felt about them honestly i almost still am but i've 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 come a little bit more together with where i'm at and since then trevor lawrence has become the only and clear number one and by the way i don't know if i quite put him in that generational talent yet i think he's pretty close i think he's a clear number one i think we still kind of have to see him get developed in some areas, but I still love him as a prospect. Easy number one. Now there's some space. Wilson's my two still. I ended up with Lance at number three, Fields at number four, Jones at number five. And the difference now is that two through five is obscenely close. I had Zach Wilson with a little separation, with a decent amount of separation before, and then I didn't know how to separate the other guys. I'm pretty confident in this order right now. There's not a lot of separation really at all between even Wilson to Jones. I really like Mac Jones in some ways. I don't know if I would take him top 10. I certainly wouldn't trade up for him at number three. I wouldn't even necessarily just take him at number nine with some of the options. I do think he's at least a first-round talent. I think he moves in the pocket really well. I think he throws with really good accuracy. I think he has excellent poise. I think he's a smart processor. I don't. I can't watch tape at that level, and I didn't have enough All-22 to really figure that one out. But I, I trust other people. I think I saw that on tape. Uh, ultimately, I do think he lacks some upside. I like Justin Fields a lot. I've come around on Justin Fields more. I wasn't quite feeling it with him at first. I thought I might put him at five. I think there are still valid concerns with his uh, his quick release or how quickly he releases the ball and staring down receivers. I know that was built into the scheme. I'm just a little bit worried that was uh, built into him. I think if he can process just a hair faster, which I think is hard to do, but I think if he can figure that out, I think if he can trust his release, uh, not his physical release, just how quickly he releases on the snap a little bit quicker, uh, I think he can be you know just as good as any quarterback in this class. Just have just some questions there. Everything else, he's pretty excellent. I'm going to buy all in on Trey Lance. I know he's risky as hell, but I just love everything I'm hearing about him. I love the talent he showed. I love that he played in a pro-style offense. I saw him making reads. I saw him process. Everyone raves about his football IQ. He is a risk, and I think, I think if you get him in a decent situation, uh, just a decent, not great, I think if you can at least give him stability in an offense, uh, I think he'll end up being the second best quarterback or the first best quarterback. Uh, I still like Zach Wilson's accuracy and playmaking enough, just enough to keep him at two. Uh, his ball placement to me is still just incredible. So I'm not going to move him down, but um, yeah, two through five for me, insanely close. This is a great quarterback class ever since we went through our three-year big boards. And I was like, wow, Zach, you got these guys above pretty much everyone else. Uh, I've started to realize that, I don't quite agree with that completely, but I've come around to that line of thinking a lot more than when we uh, started that episode. Yeah, I I put my line before Mac Jones, so I maybe it, it's gotten worse 
over the past month with all of this talk, but I, I have a pretty clear line between Zach Wilson, who I have at four, and Mac Jones at five. So I, I'm still of the belief that there are four clear top prospects at the position, and then uh, Mac Jones, who, uh, yeah, I, I do agree that he is a first-round prospect. I just think he is a second half of the first-round prospect, <laughs> not a top five or top ten type guy. Uh, so... You know, it, obviously, you know, Dan Marino at pick 28 was one of the best quarterbacks in that class. You can debate between him and Elway who you would have uh, John first. Well, yes, of course, you're going to have John Elway. I'm not but... biased. <laughs> no, not at all. Rings. Uh, <laughs> um, but obviously you can find guys at the end of the first round that are better than other guys that were taken in the top 10. That's not unheard of uh so we'll see in a few years who ends up being the best of these prospects yeah i think it'll largely just come down to uh where they go to it's really hard to say who's going to get consistent coaching it's like uh the way i put it obviously patrick mahomes would be excellent but like mitch trubisky got like three offensive coordinators in three years he spent his first year throwing to like wide receivers for I think his his best receiver year one was like Kendall right and it wasn't even close and then you know Patrick Mahomes gets to sit for a full year he gets Travis Kelsey and uh, Tyreek Hill to throw to he has a good offensive line he gets Andy Reid I, I don't think there's a reality where Mitch Trubisky becomes a better quarterback than Patrick Mahomes but I think the reason why one has become a backup and one has become an MVP uh, is because they got drastically different situations and i think san francisco will be an excellent situation for each one it's you know if mac jones does go there i could see him easily succeeding more early on than lanson fields or wilson even maybe even trevor lawrence if it's justin fields if it's trey lance uh i think they stand a great chance i do think denver is good at the moment for a quarterback landing spot in terms of talent uh i won't even lie to you i don't know if pat Shermer is the correct offensive coordinator that i want grooming an often uh, a quarterback for the next two to three years uh I'm not sold that he's not. I'm just not sold that he is. So I think that could go either way. But I think when you're throwing to those guys, uh, you'll figure out in the end, I hope, as long as you got the mental capability there. So uh, we'll see where these guys end up, and we'll definitely see how it turns out in a few years. I'm just glad we had a five-quarterback class to discuss again because 2018 was a lot of fun with those guys, and uh, we got to do that again this year. Much to the dismay of 49ers fans. Um, let's go through quarterback – or. Uh, position players because i just got two that i really want to mention if you have any you can think of um we'll go through that and then let's just give our final thoughts on the positions we excel at so you you can hit me with your wide receivers again just uh confirm what you're thinking there i'll hit my offensive lineman again and uh just kind of talk about that class anyway so uh the only two that I got is I moved J.C. Horn up. He was my four in the cornerback episode. He's going to be my two now. I was a little bit concerned with his physicality and grabbiness. Uh, that hasn't necessarily dis- – uh, I haven't necessarily felt better about that, but I did come around on him as a prospect more. I've also fell down on Greg Newsom a little bit. So uh, I didn't know that he was hurt so much. I don't know how I missed that. I watched the tape. I was really sold on him. And it turns out he's missed a decent amount of games over the last two years. So at that rate, I've moved him below Farley as well. So Newsom's my number four. Farley's my three. Horn's my two. Sertan's still my one. And in reality, I think there's a clear top four. I think in terms of talent, those are a clear top four. Uh, the risk with each one just uh, kind of dictates where they're at. And then I moved Jason Oway up to number four on my edge list. At first, I had uh, 
I had him off and I had Gregory Rousseau there. I pretty much just switched them. Uh, I, I was with you, or no, I think I was kind of on my own here, where I was really concerned about Owe's production his final season. You go back, you watch the tape, you learn that he was still fairly productive. He just didn't get any sacks. Um, concerningly not productive, but, you know, he had some decent production there. And then... Um, in reality, there's not a good sure bet at edge rusher in this class. So uh, outside of Jason Phillips, who, again, isn't even a sure bet, you might as well just bet on the talent. And he tested like crazy, and that testing shows up on tape. So I moved him up. And those are my only two major uh, changes from the positional episodes. Yeah, I would agree in moving J.C. Horn up. But I think, it, to me, it's more because of Caleb Farley's injury moving him down my board a little yeah, bit. Yeah, and that definitely happened. Um, as opposed to me falling more in love with J.C. Horn or anything like that. Uh, so I would have moved... I had Caleb Farley first. I would move Caleb Farley probably down to CB4 for me. Uh, below Sertan, Horn, and Newsom. Um but I think I would keep the order for the rest of them the same. So, so Sertan 1, Horn 2, Newsom 3, and then Caleb Farley 4. And uh, I already had Jason Oa at edge 3 for me. Um, I'm not sure if I would move him to 2 above Gregory Rousseau or not. Uh, but the edge guy I would probably put in my top 5 now, at least above Joseph Osai, uh, maybe above Aziz Ojolari as well, is Joe Tryon, the edge from Washington. Um didn't quite look as much at him as I should have the first time around because of him sitting out 2020 and having to go back and find 2019 tape for him. Uh, but when I went back and looked at what he did in 2019, I really liked what I saw. Um, and his pro days, moving him, the athletic testing he had, moving him up as well. Uh, I think that Joe Tryon is working his way into the, uh, the end of the first round conversation at least. That's what I'm saying. So we each came around on one guy that the other person was already high on. I had Tryon at five. He's staying there. You had Owe at three. Uh, he got pretty close there to me. So um, this is what this is why we go back and forth. You know, we always learn something. We always see different things. So um, oh, after time starts to build up, we uh, we get to we get a chance to watch these guys a little bit more in depth. Did you uh, did you do anything else? Did you move anybody? I don't think you did. Did you? No, I, I don't think I would move anybody else a ton. Um, you know, might, uh, let me see, going back to the linebackers, I might shuffle those around um, just a little bit. You know, I might move Browning up ahead of McGrone. Um, got, got a little bit lower on McGrone, and then uh, might put Jamin Davis in that top five as well. Um, oh, yeah, I don't got Jamin Davis either. Yeah, I, I would definitely put him there. I'd probably put him at four. Yeah, so Maybe I, even I, three. I've come yeah. around on him. Yeah, so I, I think that that might get shuffled a little bit. But other than that, I, I don't really think so. All right. Well, uh, you didn't shuffle too much around. Wide receivers are your thing. Uh, if you didn't shuffle anything there, feel uh, you know, you're all good. But just kind of give us the word on the receiver class. If you have any predictions, you know, how many go round one? Who's going to go higher? Who might go lower? Uh, just your kind of final thoughts there. Yeah, so I've got uh, I've still got Jamar Chase one, Devontae Smith two, Jalen Waddle three, Rashad Bateman four, Rondale Moore five, Tylen Wallace six, Diami Brown at seven, and Amon Ross St. Brown at eight. Uh, that that part hasn't changed at all for my personal rankings. Um, I do think that Jalen Waddle might be the first receiver off the board. 
I know that he is coming back from his injury, uh, which, uh, you know, is not always great to draft a receiver coming off an injury so early. But if Jamar Chase does fall past Cincinnati at five, which that's a very reasonable spot for him to go, um, I, I think that the teams that are picking next might be enticed a little bit more by a Jalen Waddle type receiver. Uh, you know, especially Miami, if they say at six, they might be more interested in that uh, kind of speedster type receiver with what they have on the roster. So even though I have Jamar Chase at one, um, we've seen how the league values those speed guys with Henry Ruggs going over Jerry Judy and C.D. Lamb last year. Uh, that could be the case again with Jalen Waddle going over Chase and Smith uh, at, at the top there. All right, I did this for myself, so I'm going to put you on the spot. Not really a hard question, just kind of an early estimate. How many wide receivers do you have going in the first round, and how many wide receivers do you think go in the top 50? All right, so... In the mock that we put out earlier this week, I had uh, Jalen Waddle, Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, Rashad Bateman, Rondale Moore, Kadarius Toney, and Terrence Marshall. Did I have anything else? I don't believe so. So I think that puts me at seven receivers going in the first round. Um and then I, I do think that Diami Brown is going to be going high. I think Elijah Moore, um, he might be a guy that could move into my top eight if I um, really thought about it, gave him another look. I think he's going to be going top 50. Um, trying to think of the, the needs of those teams in the top, and especially with a lot of them getting that receiver help. I don't think more than those two extra go in the first half of the second round. Uh, it's a so, lot of slot talent, too, which kind of clogs things up. Right. Yeah. So I'm going to say nine go top 57 first round. All right. I think that's probably a pretty good bet. Uh, all right. So on my end, offensive linemen, I haven't changed my ranking. I've been pretty steadfast on that. Penny Sewell, Tevin Jenkins, Rashawn Slater, Christian Derrissaw are an elite top four. I think there is a true top four just like last year. I think the talent almost adds up just like they did. I'm higher on Tevin Jenkins than most. I think at the lowest he should be is that offensive tackle number four. I think you could almost shuffle these guys around and be pretty content with the order they're in. Slater is just such a technician. He offers the most versatility, so he could be the most instant impact. Christian Derrissaw, I see the most Trent Williams out of and honestly just has the most rounded out skill set. It's just a effort thing that really fades at times, so you just got to make sure that's in check. If it is, he could be the best one. Penny Sewell is going to be mine and most offensive tackle ones. He's just so excellent, and he has so much room to get better. Tevin Jenkins is, is it's a bit bold how high I am on him, but I do really believe in that talent, so I'm going to uh, stick with that. And then I think there are two more first-rounders. I think Sam Cosme deserves a first-round pick, especially if you're confident in your offensive line coach. I think Eichenberg, I have him going to the Colts, and that does feel a little bit high, and I could see them going Cosme instead. I think Eichenberg is going to be right on the cusp of the first and second round. I think he's just plug and play enough. And I think teams need just enough offensive linemen that he could potentially crack that. So in the first round, I'm going to guess, I'm going to guess eight. I'm going to assume that Eichenberg is going to crack the first round. And I think you could take any two of Elijah Vera Tucker, Landon Dickerson, or Creed Humphrey in the first round. I'd say seven is almost a guarantee. I'm going to say eight. I'm going to say one more makes it. 
even maybe Alex Leatherwood or Jalen Mayfield kind of crack that, although I wouldn't take him there. And then I'm going to say it doubles within the top 50. Certainly, not quite doubles, 15. I'm going to go with 15 offensive lines. Certainly by the end of the second round, I'm going to say that there's just enough teams that want to take a chance because Alex Leatherwood, Jalen Mayfield are very high uh, ceiling guys. Uh, if you want more of a floor guy in Brady Christensen or Stone Forsythe, they might crack that. I think they could go in the third. There's just enough interior offensive line talent, too, that I would be excited about. And Deontay Brown, Aaron Banks, Creed Humphrey. I think in the last few years after that Super Bowl this last year, after seeing what the uh, what these dominant defenses are doing to even great quarterbacks, I think teams are really going to want to start building their offensive lineup. All of the good, A lot of good offensive linemen are getting old. There's five positions you have to fill. It's generally just a position that kind of ends up uh, being taken in numbers just because there's so many of them. I'm going to go bold and say 15 offensive linemen in the top 50, which is, is quite a bit. That's more than one in every five picks. So we'll see if teams are as desperate for the position as I'm assuming they are. Yeah, I mean, I think that this, the talent really matches up with needs there. You know, I think the past four or five Super Bowl champions have shown how important a very strong offensive line is. Uh, we saw Kansas City with a really strong offensive line in the 2020 Super Bowl uh, beat up on San Francisco. And then we saw just a year later when they had a few injuries to that offensive line, uh, Tampa Bay beat up on them. So it really is a lot of these things can go with the offensive line. It's an important position to really make sure you have solidified and just so happens there's a lot of talent at the top of the draft class this year. So I don't think that it's completely unreasonable that that many offensive linemen could go that early. Yeah, and even in that 2020 Super Bowl when uh, the Chiefs did have elite tackle play, the the 49ers still beat them for like three quarters, and it was like a battle up there, but Nick Bosa was getting in there, and they were creating pressure. The difference was the Buccaneers never let up when the offensive line diminished for the Chiefs, and uh, ultimately the offensive line held up just enough times at the end there for the Chiefs to pull away in 2020. So it's, it's just a position that's so hard. It's a unit that's so hard to uh you know get right there's almost always going to be a weakness and the idea is just to cover the weaknesses as best as possible it's almost a position where you don't need the elite talent they help but it's almost something that you want just more filled in is there any direction you want to go we have plenty of time here uh any positions we want we should be talking about you have any bold predictions and how this draft might go do you think we get a you do think we get a six quarterback in the first round yeah, I, I think that a, a team at the end of the first round could be enticed enough by Kellen Mond to take him that high. Um, his his peaks are certainly pretty high, you know, especially that game against Alabama um, this year. He performed very well. So I think that it's completely possible that a team could see those highs and want to take a chance on him. Some team like maybe Pittsburgh or... Uh, New Orleans, maybe even Tampa Bay, they're trying to get, uh, you know, the eventual replacement for Tom Brady in there early. So I, I think that a sixth or maybe even a seventh, if some team really likes, you know, I don't know, Kyle Trask or Jamie Newman or something like that, I personally wouldn't. But, you know, I, I could see some team at least taking a risk on Kellen Mond at the end of the first round there. 
Yeah, I wouldn't be too surprised. I never really bought into the Davis Mills hype. He is pretty high upside. I don't think I'd take a chance on him in the first, probably not even the second. Kellen Mond's interesting because he does have a ton of playing time. He did get a lot better with the team that got better in 2020. So it's it's hard to say, but I think Kellen Mond would probably be the guy that if I had to spend a first-round pick, I would. It's just a question if, if teams think he's good enough to really value the draft stock or if they want to value the fifth-year uh, contract, they, uh, the fifth-year deal that they could potentially get with him because – that's kind of where the discrepancy is. You can save some money. You can save some draft stock if you just take him in the second. If you're not too worried about losing out on him, if you are, that's a that's a pretty big risk to take. But again, we did see Jordan Love go in the first last year, so that gave the Packers a whole situation. Um, anything else you got? You got anything? I think we've covered. You know, a few months in, we've covered everything pretty extensively. So I know that we. Both have Najee Harris going to Pittsburgh at the 24th pick, but is that kind of the over-under for running backs in the first round is probably like 0.5? Either Najee Harris goes to Pittsburgh or uh, that's probably it for for running backs at the end of the first round there. You know, there's been a lot made of the value of a running back and you don't need to take one in the first round, but we also have three guys in Javante Williams in Najee Harris and then Travis Etienne who could conceivably be first round talents. So do we think that it's, it's just the one possible running back that goes in the first round or could we see multiple running backs or no running backs? You know, what, what do you think the situations are there? It's, it's hard to say because last year we got Clyde Edwards Hilaire going just at the end of the first round. And that put that at one so this year, it's a slightly less talented class, but it's almost just as top-heavy with the big three. Does a team trade up? You know, there's like, you got the uh, teams at the end of the first in Jacksonville and the Jets in uh, Atlanta, Cincinnati potentially even, that all could use a running back to kind of spark their young quarterback. Uh, if you're Atlanta, you just need one anyway. So do they want to wait or do they trade up? It seems like the top of the second is that golden spot for it. But as we saw last year with Tampa Bay, it seems like they wanted one of those big four or even five in Cam Akers, lost out, got what? what's – it's not Tyler Vaughn, but it's a, it's something Vaughn that they got. Keyshawn. Keyshawn Vaughn. They uh, settled at Keyshawn Vaughn, and he was effectively pointless for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last year. He didn't get any snaps. They even signed LaShawn McCoy. So at one point, I think he was relegated to fourth running back. And when you take a running back in the third round, that is not what you're looking for, especially on a team like the Buccaneers that were looking to uh, compete right away. And obviously that worked out well anyway. uh, But they ended up signing Leonard Fournette. They ended up covering that running back position up. So it's like, unless you're really confident in one of those mid-round guys, it kind of becomes a race because there is really only three that you really want to bet on giving substan- uh, substantial uh, snaps early on. So I'm going to say at least one go. I wouldn't be surprised to see a second one get traded up for, and they really go in that like 25 to 40 range, the big three. Yeah, I think that that's, that's pretty reasonable. Um, you know, who... They, the Bucks did get Giovanni Bernard in there, um, but I don't think Giovanni Bernard, especially at this point in his career, is a running back that you say, we're going to pass on a better talent because of the presence of Giovanni Bernard. Uh, so, yeah, I agree, that, especially with your point that uh, Tampa Bay could be in the running for a running back there at the tail end of the, of the draft. Oh, I just meant like last year is like when they invested in a third round one and then they 
signed Leonard Fournette, signed LaShawn McCoy, and then even this season they signed uh, Giovanni Bernard. So, I mean, maybe, but I think they'd just probably bring back Fournette like Ronald Jones there. I'm just saying uh, if you miss out on, like, one of the big three or last year big five, you have to end up settling for a high-end running back that you don't use. That's kind of brutal. So I think teams might race a little bit more for an instant impact guy. Okay, well then, yeah, I, I misunderstood you there. But I, I still do think that that could be an option similar to how the Chiefs went with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Uh, I, I don't think that any of those running backs are guys that uh, you say we're okay passing up on a talent like Harris-Williams or ETN because of the presence of these guys on the roster. I think that Fournette has been okay. He's had his ups and downs. Even last year, he had his ups and downs. Ronald Jones, of course, having his ups and downs. LaShawn McCoy, Giovanni Bernard, Keyshawn Vaughn. All those guys are, uh, you know, we haven't seen any of them be a top-level running back for an entire season at any point in their career, really. Maybe Leonard Fournette really early on, but it's been a while for him. So I, I think that Tampa Bay is a place where we could see it, but I, I'm leaning more towards uh, if, if Najee Harris doesn't go to Pittsburgh, I'd be leaning more towards zero running backs in the first rounds than multiple. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I think one is probably the sweet spot there. Yeah, and I think the Jets and Falcons would probably be most likely at the top of the second, or if they wanted to trade up. Uh yeah, those would be the two I would probably put. All right, let's uh, let's just finish out on a note. Let's um, I want to hear your favorite sleeper, but let's go through our favorite high round guy, favorite mid round guy, and uh, favorite sleeper each, and uh, get out of here unless you think of something else we could do. So I'll let you start. No, that I think that's good. Uh, I think my my favorite, just personal love watching him play, is probably Rondale Moore. Um, I think the the combination of speed. But also, he, he's got some dog in him. He, like, he, he doesn't just try to run around guys like your typical smaller skill position player. He doesn't mind running through guys if he can. Uh, I think that just he's a really fun player to watch. So my favorite top guy, I'd say, is Rondell Moore. Okay. I'm pretty stuck between Penny Sewell, but he's a little bit more boring. So I've been saying it ever since the beginning, and I knew I was high on him early, but I didn't even remember that I put him on like our second episode, uh, interesting watch guys. So I, I did find him really early. So I like to think I started a Tevin Jenkins hive when he started going uh, a little higher in mock draft. So I'm pretty excited to see what he can do. I'm going to be watching him very closely. I've already started my uh, 2020 uh, rookie offensive line watch. So I get very excited because I watched more offensive linemen in this draft this year. I'll be able to watch them next year and see how uh, see how they uh, developed right away, how they play as rookies. And I hope Jalen and Tevin Jenkins can do that early on. I think we have the same mid-round guy. So maybe we can switch it up and neither of us can name Tylen Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's fair. Uh, and, and just a note, I think that Tevin Jenkins is going to look absolutely fantastic in black and silver. God, okay, I get it. I'm, I'm mean, and I, I have to be bullied back a little bit. Yes, that's absolutely the case. Uh, um, favorite mid-round guy that is not Tylen Wallace? We're going to sound like an Oklahoma State Homer podcast here. Um, I'm going to go Chuba Hubbard. I, I think that there's a little bit too much uh, overcorrection on Chuba Hubbard. People had him 
up in the Travis Etienne stratosphere at the beginning of the 2020 season. And his 2020 season did not go as well as people had hoped. Uh, so I think that people moved him down maybe a little bit too far. Um, I think that he's probably going to be taken in the fourth or fifth round um, as kind of a mid-round guy. But I, I think he's going to outplay his draft position there. So stay in, stay in uh, Stillwater, Oklahoma, and I'm going to go with Chuba Hubbard. I just realized there's like three guys I want to name, so if you have a couple more, you can go. But um, I'll give you a second and name mine really quick. So uh, to start, I just found out about Nico Collins, and I think he could be really interesting because he's huge and fast. I don't know how I, – I, I often give Michigan guys the benefit of the doubt because this is like a – it's it's a high level school that just doesn't seem to play at a high level very often. There always seems to be an issue there. So Nico Collins, I believe, opted out of 2020. If you don't like Terrence Marshall, maybe take a chance on Nico Collins. In the same vein, I think he may have played his way out of kind of the mid rounds, but I think I'm all in on Diami Brown. It's it, he's he's going to be a risk for sure. I, after you learn that he had the same offensive coordinator that DK Metcalf and AJ Brown had, and they came out quote unquote raw in their route tree and underneath ability and, and DJ K Metcalf to an extent still is, but they're both really good. I'm wondering if DK met or if uh, Diami Brown's the guy being held back in that same offense. And then Elijah Molden is a guy that I think is just going to be so good and so solid right away. And for a while, when you get a guy that loves the game that much and has at least a little bit of talent, to him and he has shown that he does i think he can carve out a really good you know eight-year role as a nickel cornerback maybe early on as a reserve as an important reserve that also plays on special teams you just find a way to get him on the field and make an impact in the same case tommy tongi in a very bad defensive line class might be someone to kind of watch out for in ohio state interior defensive lineman you know they're he's not going to be excellent but uh he'll give you a little bit of something so a, a couple other guys that I like in the mid-rounds then. Uh, Jalen Twyman, uh, defensive tackle sure. out of Pitt. Um, I, I think it was unfair that he got compared to Aaron Donald early on. You know, you, you see a relatively undersized defensive tackle from Pitt who is making plays in the backfield and you automatically... The lazy narrative in... The college broadcast of every single pick game this year was, oh, doesn't he remind you of Aaron Donald? Isn't this guy the next Aaron Donald and all that? And No, he's not. Nobody is going to be the next Aaron Donald because he's one of one. There's a reason why there hasn't been an Aaron Donald since Aaron Donald, and it'll be a long time until we find another Aaron Donald. So if you take off those glasses and just evaluate him as a pass-rushing three-tech who might be a little undersized, but has the speed and strength to make plays in the backfield, then yeah, he's going to be a great pick for you in the fourth or fifth round. Again, a little bit overcorrection there when people realize this guy's not an Aaron Donald clone. Um, and then Walker Lill, offensive tackle out of Stanford, he's been rising up a little bit more as of late that I've seen, uh, but I still think that we're getting a little too hung up on in some certain cases the fact that these guys sat out 2020 for COVID. I think that the fact that he had a little bit of an injury there at the end of 2019 and then didn't play in 2020, I think those two things just kind of compounded on one another. And now we think this guy who was a former first-round prospect before he got injured, now people are saying, oh, we shouldn't take him until, again, rounds four or five. And that, to me, is just ridiculous. Um, 
yeah, we haven't seen him play in a while, but that skill is still there. That talent is still there, and I think that he is going to be a steal for someone later on. And I didn't mention two guys, so I'm just going to say them really quick. Uh, Ronnie Perkins, going to be pretty solid right away. I really like how good he is uh, just in terms of all the talent. He currently shows not a lot of upside. And then Andre Cisco, pretty much on the opposite end there. A lot of upside could also flame out. So I, ter- I have I have more middle round guys than I thought I would. So that's kind of fun. My only late round guy, and you could name a few because I know you study the sleepers a lot more than me. My only late round guy, and I only like him because I'm a homer, I'm going to take the South Dakota State guy, Cade Johnson, as someone that should be a really solid wide receiver four or five. He has some good route running ability, you know, and he's he's productive. And I think he could probably, if he bought in, can contribute on special teams. So one of those core bottom of the roster, you know, not bottom, but uh, middle of the roster guys that you just kind of have doing a handful of things. He's reliable and you can use him for his rookie contract, let him move on. Someone gets a nice little value as someone that can do multiple things. Yeah, I, I really like Kay Johnson as well. Uh, my super late round guys, uh, you know, probably there in the sixth or seventh rounds, uh, Josh Matarbebe, I, I still really yeah. like him. Uh, just the athleticism that he's got at six foot two, 220 pounds, I think he's really good size, really great athleticism. He'll be especially good as a deep threat for, you know, some team that wants to have a big fast guy that can get downfield and when you have those types of guys it opens up stuff underneath for them too they don't need to be the perfect route runners to get separation because you have to respect their deep speed because you're not going to be able to catch balls over them you'll need to keep up with them step for step on those deep routes you got to respect that so it'll open up a lot of stuff underneath i think he has that built-in advantage to succeed early and often and uh chris rumpf uh, I think that people are getting really hung up on the fact that his his testing time times weren't elite or anything. He doesn't have the size to be a strength guy, but he still wins pass rush attempts. You know, I, I've said it before. He led the nation in pass rush a uh, win percentage and pressure rate in 2019. And then he was still top 10 in both of those categories in 2020. The guy wins. He has the flexibility to bend around the edge. He has a really great reaction time off the line. He's got good technique. Uh, He just doesn't have the elite physical traits in either direction, speed or strength, that really makes you give him a lot of notice. But I think he there's something to be said for a guy that just knows how to win pass rush snaps. And that's what uh, Chris Rumpf can do. So he's he's my other favorite late round guy. I think that's going to do it. I don't think we have anything else. I think we've covered everything over the last three and a half months as well as we could have, including multiple episodes a week. And during the bulk of it, every positional group, you had the sleepers. We talked about all the top guys. We've confirmed our biases. We had some fun episodes. I, I think I think we've called it a season. Yeah, well, uh, I'm sure we'll be back to talk about uh, the interesting top of the first rounds that we're going to have. It's going to be worthy of discussion either way it goes. Uh, So, yeah, let's hope that I uh, am willing to want to come on and talk about it. I'm not severely (laughs) depressed. Yeah.
<laughs> yeah, we'll come back with a few more episodes post-draft. We'll talk about what happens in this one. Uh, we'll get a little bit ahead on the next year, and then we're going to we're gonna take a break for the summer and football season. But you know where we'll be this time next year. Once again, thank you so much, Scott, for making this easy. Thank you guys so much for listening. Zach's going to be gone for this draft, so wish him luck as he's in a car, as he finds out who the quarterback of the future is for the 49ers. If you want to join me, I'm joining the whole nine uh, stream. I'll be there for the full first round. You can see my live reaction if you care to join us for there. And otherwise, we will be back next week to break down what we have been breaking down this entire year. So thank you guys, and we'll see you next time.